Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry. This is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io online today and join. Today, my guest is Mapume Nube Daka. Mapume is the founder and CEO of About Change Conversations, through which she provides career and executive coaching, facilitation, and business strategy support. Mapume started her career as a financial accountant working for Unilever. She subsequently held roles with the mobile carrier MTN, telecom equipment provider Ericsson, and broadcaster MultiChoice. Along the way, she did some nonprofit work with Mindset Network and started her own public relations firm. She struck out on her own to be a coach a little over a year ago. Mapume has earned multiple degrees from the University of KwaZulu-Natal, including a bachelor's degree in economics and business finance and an MBA. She also completed certificate programs in business coaching and corporate governance. She lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. Mupume, welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Jair, for having me. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? What was your first paying job? I grew up in South Africa. And in one of the regions, which is very Zulu-dominated, I'm a Zulu girl from the rural areas of KwaZulu-Natal. And my first paying job, I was a student and I was doing university work work at Unilever. And then I joined Unilever and my professional work, I started off as an assistant financial accountant. So in your case, that internship that you were doing during university years, turned into your first full-time job. Yes, but what was happening during vacations, they would actually move you around into different departments. But because I was sponsored by Unilever, I was getting paid during holidays and I was working. Nice. Well, that's disposable income, I'm sure, was nice to have at that age. It came in very handy. It did, I have to say. What part of Unilever were you supporting? So I was based in the Unilever head office in their financial accounting department. But yeah, as you know, Unilever has got a very number of companies. And in South Africa, there was Lever Brothers, Hudson and Knight back in the day. And I think Ola and a few Unifoods, which was the food business. But all that has kind of changed a bit now. Yeah, but you were working in the head office in in South Africa. Yes, I was. Yeah. When you think back to that first job, what did you learn? What did you take away from that? experience that you've carried with you since then? I took away a few things. I took away the things that I was very clear that I enjoyed in a job and what I didn't enjoy. And hence, I made a number of career changes after that. 
Mm. Um, so what was clear was that having to work with numbers on a daily basis wasn't my thing. So that got very clear very early in my career. Okay. But the one other thing I took out is having great mentors. So I had the Unilever financial director as my mentor. And that for me was the best experience that I ever had because he really guided me within the corporate space. And I think he taught me a thing or two, which was a good thing. You were in your presumably early 20s then. Do you feel like what you decided you did and didn't like about work, does that still hold true for you? I mean, were you able to judge it at that early age? It still holds true. I still say to people, you can pay me millions to do a financial accounting job and I won't take it. I'm okay. (laughs) Fair enough. I think a lot of people, takes most people probably five or 10 years to figure out really what they want to do professionally and sometimes even longer, right? That's true. But I think what was clearing for me was the routine work of an accounting job where you've got monthly cycles and you've got financial cycles. And and that routine was glaringly clear that it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. And having to sit behind the computer and be focused on just this thing that you needed to do wasn't who I was. And that had come through when I was at university, but we will touch on that as we talk. Yeah. What led you to MTN and into the telecommunication space? That was actually by, some of it has just been luck. Literally, I got recruited by, it was a recruitment agency that found me. And by that time, I had actually moved out of accounting into marketing. So I had left Unilever. I had also worked for Nestle. So they found me like years later. And what was interesting was the marketing role that they had was very fascinating for me because it was looking at the growth of MTN within the Africa space. So I was part of the team that actually went into country and we were doing due diligence on the new licenses that were coming up. And Mm -hmm. then I was doing market analysis and and marketing potential from that perspective. So it was an amazing job and I got to travel within Africa, which was great. How broad was the scope of what you were looking at when you were doing those market analyses? How many countries across the continent? So the projects that I worked in, if I remember correctly, I think I did about six. Mm. We won some and we lost some. One of the ones that I remember we won was Nigeria, Mm. which is one of the biggest markets for MTN. And I also worked on the Cote d'Ivoire one, which I think we won. And we lost in Tanzania um, and we won the one in uh, another one in Cameroon. So this was the time where it was really a big competition between Vodacom, which is Vodafone globally, as well as then MTN in South Africa. Yeah. And presumably you're looking at the demographics of the market, the density of the market, trying to figure out how many towers you'd have to put up and all of that. And trying to figure out what type of product do you actually want to bring into country? And what was glaringly clear is that the South African market was totally different to the rest of of Africa. To make an example, in South Africa, when the the mobile network operators launched, one of the products was a contract-based product that was was available. But in the rest of Africa, there are no credit records. There's nothing. Everything is pure prepaid. And there was a space then you were clear that you would go with and a prepaid offering. 
And that also had implications in South Africa, even within the prepaid offering, there were subsidies that were being put onto the handsets and all these other things. But within the rest of South Africa, somebody had to just buy the handset and then buy pure and do pure prepaid. So it was very fascinating. And the markets were actually totally different as well. The francophone markets and the way the things are sold and how the consumers and the demographic, totally different to other markets. So yeah, it was a very exciting time. Yeah. I mean, relatively early days of mobile. Yeah. So I missed the step. You were at Unilever and you left Unilever. Then you went to Nestle. I went to Nestle for a couple of months. Okay. Um, That was my shortest stint in my career. So I was with Nestle literally for for eight months. I was still within the financial accounting space, but the role that I had was more financial analysis. That for me was better than a pure accounting role where then I had to do these routine cycles that were driving me insane. Right. But whilst I was at at Nestle, I got an, an opportunity. A friend of mine called me and I said, there's this small media and um, there's this small publishing company that is looking for a marketing person. And she had heard me speaking about the fact that I had wanted to come out of accounting into marketing. And I thought to myself, I've got nothing to lose. Let me apply. And I had just been studying a diploma in marketing and I had done marketing as well as part of my degree. So I applied and I got called in for an interview. I was like, oh, which was quite exciting. So I went in for an interview and they said to me, please do a marketing strategy for us and come back after a week and present. So I went away, did a marketing strategy and came and presented and I walked away and I got the job. How do you feel looking back about those situations where you get asked to come in with some piece of finished work or your best stab at at finished work as part of the interview process? I actually don't mind it because I think... It shows your thinking process. Mm. And I've always said when I've been an interviewee, I've always said you don't have to be wrong or right. But what I get out of it is you demonstrating your thinking process, demonstrating what you think could work in that business. And for me, what was exciting is that you are coming in with a clean slate. You've got no baggage. You don't know whether those things will work or not. But at least whoever is interviewing you gets a sense of who you are and how you think and how you make conclusions about a number of things. You could be totally wrong, but I think for me, it gets exciting because I can demonstrate the value that I can bring into that space. Right. You started in the consumer products world and in finance, and then you moved into the telecom world and in marketing. How did you navigate that change? How did you come up to speed? How did you get yourself comfortable that you could add value even though you were coming into some new areas that you hadn't done before? What I think I mastered early, and I don't think I was conscious about it. Now that I'm coaching and doing all these things, I realize what it is that I was doing. I think the one thing that I mastered was to understand the skill that I had and what were the transferable skills that I could bring in. Mm -hmm. And I remember within the moving out of finance into marketing, I was able to demonstrate how my finance background could help within the marketing space. And that, I think, became a valuable resource. Because what you usually hear is that, you know, marketing people just want to spend money. They can never understand the return on investment and all those things. But I think I was able to bring in a different perspective 
because I was not too precious about being a marketer. For me, it was also a learning process and bringing those transferable skills helped. And now when I reflect back, I realized that having been at Unilever and working during holidays and I had been moving around in different departments actually helped me to adapt within that change because I would go in, learn something and then move on to something else. That as well was actually quite good in terms of me just opening myself up to new things and new learning, basically. Yeah. The way you've described your experience at Unilever, a bit like a rotational program, whether it was formally designed that way or whether it just kind of happened that way, given the circumstances you were in. I think you get a ton out of those kind of programs when you're a young professional new to the working world, because it just forces you to figure out how to be useful quickly, right? And and how to be comfortable with it. So then you were at MTN and then you went to Mindset Network. You took kind of a detour out of the telecom space for a while before you went back to in with Ericsson. How, yeah. how did you end up over working in that space with Mindset Network? And it wasn't a full detour and I'll tell you why. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Mindset Network is, a, is an NGO right. um, that looks at literally giving content into high schools and primary schools and that. But how do they do that? They either use internet platform or at the time when I was there, they were actually using pay TV decoders. Okay. And that's the element. So I found myself that it was in the education space, but there was still a telco and a ICT broadcast element, which is the part that I've actually found that is really fascinating for me. So that made it quite easy. Um, and some of the stakeholders that I had worked with before were part of the actually the mindset group. But how did I get the job? I got the job. The CEO was married to my boss at MTN. <laughs> so at some point, he knew that I was wanting to move on. And his wife was looking for a senior marketing person. And he was like, go interview and see what happens. And that's how I got the job. <laughs> so both, both uh, halves of the couple were happy then in terms of exactly. how that worked out for you. Yeah. yeah. And I think just building relationships because she wasn't obliged to employ me, but I right. think she knew the value that I, I could bring in the space. How did you find working in an NGO? How is it different from working in the for-profit world? Tough. Tough in the sense that there's no budget that you can just splurge, but it makes you to be creative. It makes you to be creative. My negotiation skills went to a different level. I was able to negotiate with broadcasters and all these different stakeholders from a, a marketing perspective, which was quite great. And also what was great, I was also responsible for the stakeholder management, which were the partners that were donors into the business. So I got myself working with very senior executives across different companies within the country, because some of those were banks, the Nelson Mandela Foundation, the Liberty Foundation, which are big companies within South Africa. And that was an amazing experience. Some of the guys were tough, and I had to toughen up and really showcase that the project that they're working in was really beneficial to the communities as well as to them as the donors of the business. Yeah, in some ways, when you go out to have those kinds of conversations, being a nonprofit, you operate from a position of purity, right? You're not there to 
make a dollar. You're going in with a good cause that people can get behind. But at the end of the day, you're asking them to do something for you for free, hence the negotiation. Yeah. And trying to find the balance because even if they're doing it for good, there's still brand equity and all these things that they're expecting to come out of that. Sure. So how do you find the balance between that and the fact that the N- the NGO is really just wanting to do good and finding that balance it used to be tricky, but we always found a way. Yeah. You were there for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went into public relations, Onyx, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. And Onyx was basically a business that I created. Um, So I was a co-founder of Onyx Marketing and I pulled in one of the ladies who was a supplier at Mindset Network. So she Mm. used to do PR for us. And one of the executives was responsible for business development. So there was an entrepreneurial spirit that was just like, we needed to explore this. And we then pulled forces And there was a tender that was out for another NGO at that point in time, which is called the Soul City Institute. And I had worked with the Soul City Institute when I was still at the publishing company that I was at. So I knew that that business and I understood it. So we literally put in for the PR proposal that they had. And we went through quite a scrutiny, um, but we ended up getting the business. So for me to transition out of mindset into my own business was a kind of fairly smooth process because I walked away and there was already a business that was kind of in play. Right. I mean, it's akin to having the next job before you leave the job you're in, right? In your case, it was just your own business. How did you find being an entrepreneur? Exciting and scary and everything that comes with that. (laughs) But I think what I loved was the space of having to service clients and the space of having to come up with great strategies and plans for your clients and not making it just about one brand. Working with different companies and different brands actually got very exciting. And that for me was the exciting part. And the fact that it was a retainer contract, so the cash flow element, which is usually a concern for most entrepreneurs, was not as bad. And we needed get more business, but at least there was that cushion that helped from that perspective. And the fact that I could own my time. And I remember when I started Onyx, my daughter was at high school at the time. She said to me, thank God you can pick me up on time. And that for me said something. Yeah. Kids <laughs> yeah. are always the ones who, who bring reality back into play, right? Exactly. There was a point when I was traveling all the time for work. My daughter was maybe eight. And I was putting her to bed one night and she said, daddy, how come none of the other daddies have to travel as much as you do? And that just went right to the heart. Just brutal. Wasn't too long after that, that I changed jobs, but it was probably well overdue at that point. Much less travel after that. I can relate because I was always that mother who was driving in. She would be picked up late and there was always a rush about something. So when she said that and I could pick her up on time, I think it really, it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. So what ended up happening with your PR firm? How did the business grow and how did it play out over time? The business did well, but when 2008 economic downturn hit, so the business continued. But what was happening was that my husband was was 
in business and I was in business. Mm. And it just felt very unsettling. And I literally had an opportunity where a friend who was running a recruitment agency called me and said to me, there's an opportunity at Ericsson and I think you will be perfect for it. And I remember saying to her, I don't want that opportunity. Leave me alone. Don't yeah. call me. And she pestered me for like three weeks. And at some point I gave in and I was like, okay, let me go for the interview. And the rest is history. <laughs> and you ended up staying there for a decently long time, right? So it, clearly it worked okay. out okay. No, yeah. it worked out. I stayed with Ericsson for about five years, if not just more. Hmm. And it was an amazing, amazing company to work for. I got to travel the world and just being a global company that was full of opportunities was really amazing for me. Yeah. How do you feel other than the getting to travel the world, personal benefit, how did it yeah. add to your skill set? What did you get there that you hadn't gotten to that point? I had done a lot of marketing from a consumer perspective. And Ericsson is a business to business marketing space. But what was great was that because I understood the consumer side from a telco perspective, I was able to then bring in a different um, stance in the marketing when dealing with the clients. Because it wasn't just about what we wanted to sell you. It was also about this is how this will benefit your end consumer. And right. that for me was, was the best thing because I understood a telco consumer and I was a telco consumer myself and having to bring that into the space then actually helped. But I think also the business to business marketing space, it's got its own nuances. It's yes. all about driving thought leadership. It's all about one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's all about doing maybe trade shows and exhibitions and that type of space. And that for me was a different marketing. So it added into my marketing skill. Yeah, it is very different, certainly than thinking about more of a business to consumer play. And there are overlaps and there are differences. I've experienced that in my own, I guess, my own time being responsible for marketing aspects at points of my jobs over the years. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you had this interest in broadcasting, that that was intriguing to you from your time at, at Mindset Network. And then you went to work for multi-choice. So then you were in the broadcast business. How did that all come about? Yeah. So after years of being with Ericsson, I went on maternity leave and I never went back. <laughs> so I got pregnant with my son, who's my last born. And whilst I was on maternity leave, there was a restructure in the business. And the business was asking for people if they wanted to take voluntary retrenchment. I was already at home. I put up my hand and I thought it would be the best thing to actually spend time with the baby at that point in time. And some of it was from guilt because my eldest daughter, I was at university when I had her. My middle child, my career was at the top. I was literally traveling. I was never home. This child was being portrayed and I wasn't there. This child was walking and I wasn't there. And with my last born, I really had to take a step back and decide that I wanted to be a present mother. And yeah, so I put up my hand and I said, just let me go whilst I'm away anyway. And that's how I ended up leaving um, Ericsson. And then what happened a year later, so I was with my son for a year. And a year later, I knew I, I wanted to go back 
to work. And I literally sat down and I asked myself, which were the companies that I would like to work for? And I knew it had to be in an ICT environment of some sort. And MultiChoice was one of those top companies. Other companies that I think I had on the list were some network service providers. I think there was still AutoPage at the time and another company, which I can't remember. And I literally went and targeted those companies in terms of applying. So I went onto LinkedIn and I found the people that were in my network. And right. one of those people was the um, former CEO of MultiChoice, who I had met years ago when I was still at MTN. And I dropped him a message to say, I've been out of work and I'm looking to go back into work. And these are the roles that I was looking for. And God forbid, he answered. He responded to me and he said, I don't know what is going on, but I'll get my HR people to get hold of you. And HR got hold of me. And there was nothing at that point in time. I think about three weeks later, a role had come up and I got pulled in uh, for an interview. And I also had auto page that I was interviewing for and I was debating. But I think MultiChoice was the one that I really wanted to go to. An amazing thing happened. The role at AutoPage got put on hold. And then the multi-choice role was there and I got offered the job. And that's how I got into multi-choice. And you were there for a while too. I was there for eight and a half years. It's been a year since I left. Yeah. So talk about the decision to leave, to go back out on your own, to start this coaching business that you're doing now. That I'm doing now. So I got to do coaching whilst I was at multi-choice. Um, I got nominated to attend a leadership course at the Gibbs um, Business School. So Gibbs is very good that for any of their executive programs, then they offer either one-on-one coaching or group coaching as part of the offering. So for this program, there was group coaching. And as I was going through the process, I remember going back to the office and telling my boss and saying, I've been coached before, but this group coaching thing was really doing something for me. And Mm. I could just see myself being one of those coaches that was engaging with the student. And I said to her, I would really would love to explore this coaching. And she said to me, I think you would be great at it. It was a conversation. It went by. The following year, then Gibbs offered a certification in coaching. And I mentioned it to my boss in passing. And she said to her, apply, I'll pay for you. And I was like, what? And she said, I think you'll be great at it. You will still use coaching within the leadership, within the business. So just do it. So MultiChoice paid for my coaching certification, which was amazing. And that's how I got into it. And I was coaching on the side whilst I was there. It wasn't nothing that I really thought. But as I was doing it, just impacting people's lives. And as I was seeing the impact that I was having on people's lives, it became the thing. I get obsessed. I got obsessed with this thing. And I knew that if I had to live, this was something that I really wanted to do on my own. And that's how I got to it. Yeah. So talk about your coaching practice now in terms of the types of people you typically work with and the types of situations that they're facing. So yeah, I started off, I had wanted to focus on career coaching, but what I'm finding is there's the career coaching element. So these are people who are saying, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do within my career and I need help. So there's that, that conversation. 
And then there's somebody who's saying, I want to change careers and I don't know which route to take and how to follow that process. So there's that part of the conversation. And there are people who are then managers that are being, maybe they were specialists and now they are being thrown into management and people are overwhelmed and they're just feeling like, I don't know how to really craft my career moving forward. So there's that part. But what has also happened is that because I've got such a long experience within the corporate space, then I'm being pulled into executive and management coaching because I've got that experience. So I'm also doing a lot of management and executive coaching as well. But another leg that I hadn't really thought about or I had really thought will come through within some of the business schools, I'm also being pulled into business coaching because I'm also a supervisor for MBA entrepreneurship students. And I had been doing that for the past four years. And now there's a lot of business coaching. So these are people who are starting their own businesses that I'm also finding myself coaching and mentoring. And those are the pillars of the people from a coaching perspective. So there's an element of doing one-on-one coaching as well as doing group coaching. But I'm also now offering different kinds of programs. I'm also doing a lot of masterclasses, facilitating doing speaking engagements around leadership, executive coaching, anything workplace related. That's a good mix. It's funny because people distinguish between career coaching and executive or leadership coaching. And to me, it all kind of runs together. At the end of the day, we have a professional life and sometimes I need a coach to help me plot my next step. And sometimes I need a coach to help me do the most with the step I'm in right now. No, that's very true. So what I find is that it overlays. But I think some of it, they're just distinct things around what is happening at work that I'm trying to deal with. Then this is for my personal career growth. So Mm. there's that distinction that sometimes comes through. Now, I know you're a self-described change junkie. (laughs) What, What is it about change that's appealing to you topically? The biggest thing is, I see opportunities when change presents themselves and I see possibilities. And I was saying to somebody this morning, so let's make an example. Somebody gets pulled in and they're being told that they're being retrenched or being laid off. Right. One person will go into an overwhelm and a spin and feel like the whole world is falling apart. Right. But me, I will go into oh my God, this is such an opportunity. Now I can explore other things that I've always wanted to explore. And then my mind just goes into, but what are the possibilities? I can take this retrenchment money and go do one, two, three. For me, there's this opportunity that I'm seeing, whereas the other person will be in the dumps and thinking this is the end of the world. So I think that's where the difference comes in. Where there's a change, it's not always easy, and I make it sound very easy. It's not always easy, but I think I'm open to those opportunities. And because I'm open to those opportunities, there isn't major overwhelm that comes with it. I always think, I don't go into what if I fail. I always think, what if I succeed? And that for me becomes then the driving and the motivating factor into moving forward. You obviously coach a lot of people. I presumably 
change comes up in those conversations. Why do you think people struggle so much with change? It's inevitable. It's inevitable. When you think about it, you go through change on a daily basis. There's so much that happens in your day, but a bulk of it is fear. There's a lot of it that is hinged in fearing the unknown and your risk appetite being questioned. Because if your risk appetite is high, then you're prepared to take the risk. And if your risk appetite is low and you're the kind of person who wants a very clear path, in everything that you do, then you really struggle with that. But I think for me, there's also a sad part that the fear holds people back and it holds you back and you find that you let go of bigger opportunities that could take you to the next level because you want everything to be clear. But where can you find clarity in everything? I interviewed somebody who said to me, they look at at, at that mainly with career change. They look at it as if it's a, a satellite navigation where you know there's a curve coming up, but up until you're in the curve, you don't know. Right. You just have to be in it to really figure out how you come out of it. So I think for me, is it's looking at it from that perspective. Not everything is straight. There are bends and you just have to go with the flow. I make it sound easy, but It makes sense to me. What advice do you give your coaching clients on how to navigate through change professionally? It's the realization that you don't know what you don't know and being open to what could be the possibilities. And if you're open to those possibilities and those opportunities, then you open yourself up to whatever that comes. Because whatever that comes, then you're able to just deal with it as it comes. You don't preempt what your next step is going to be as long as you've got a bigger vision of where you want to go. And I think for me, the focus is about knowing what's the end game. And if you know what's the end game, you might take left or right, but as long as it gets you to the point B that you want to go to, I think that's the important thing. Yeah, it's very true. So for you, I mean, you've done a variety of things. Over the years, is this the final chapter and something you ride off at the end of your professional career? Or is this just another chapter and there'll be something after this? I think it's the final chapter, but I don't know. I'm open to anything else. I think it's the final chapter. What I'm loving about it, JR, is the fact that it's opening all sorts of other things that I might not have really thought about. So there's opportunities of lecturing, there's opportunities of facilitating conversations, there's opportunities of non-directorships. It's just opening me up to all sorts of other things because I've got the experience from a business world and now there's also the experience of actually wanting to grow people and work with organizations that see their employees as a major asset. And I'm bringing a different perspective into that. And that for me, I think is an exciting part. Would I want to go and be a CEO of a big corporate? Maybe not. But do I want to work with a big corporate where I can bring in my thinking and different ways of looking at things? Definitely. So there's a consulting thing as well that is coming through. That's the exciting part. I've been in business for 30 odd years at this point and done different things. And I think ahead, and I don't really think 
there's a line in the sand end date, right? I look at people whose LinkedIn profiles say retired, and I just think, what are you doing every day? I mean, there's only so much golf you can play, right? Or whatever you like to do. And I like staying connected too much to what's going on. And to your point, it's like your career evolves, new opportunities emerge, and you can sort of see, oh, well, now I could go do that. And I hadn't really ever thought about that before. And to me, that's it's part of the fun of living. That's it. And I think up until I'm dead, why do I want to close the door on anything? I'm not closing the door. So as long as I'm here and I'm breathing and I'm excited about a number of things, let's keep at it. It's a good way to think about it. I agree. When you look back in your career to date, what do you think are the strengths that have really fueled you over the years? <laughs> wow. I did my Enneagram assessment a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and I came out as an eight. Okay. Uh, and one of the characteristics of an eight, it's people who get things done. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm that person. I'm very solutions driven. So you talk to me about something, I'm already on solution mode and I'm asking you, so when are we implementing? And that for me, I think, because most businesses, you don't want to be stuck. So I've worked in the strategy space, but you also, where strategy sometimes fails is when it comes to implementing, because you can have it all good in paper, but then the execution and the implementation might just fall flat. So for me, I think an element of really implementing and executing on stuff um, becomes the critical component. I'm not a very detailed person in terms Mm. of the detail, but I'll pull together a team that will make sure that the delivery happens. And I think for me, that has been one of the biggest things. It's not something that I really thought about as I was in my junior professional space, but I think I keep seeing it coming through. I was given opportunities either to build a team or to start something new where I make sure that things get done. And I think that has been the driving force behind me. Yeah, good. And what have you had to work the hardest to develop? I think self-awareness, getting to know who I am as a person. Um, I think a lot of things happened for me very quickly. I finished university. I was quite young. I finished high school young and I just had to grow. I think sometimes I got forced into maturity without even realizing. And I think the self-awareness piece, I've had to take a step back and really understand who I am as a person and what drives me and what motivates me and what triggers me and my blind spots. Some of the things were not easy to digest. (laughs) But I think taking the time to look at that has really helped me. And now I think I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with the person that I've turned out to be. And I think I'm a kind of cool person. So, <laughs> Well, it's good to be comfortable in, in your own skin. I mean, for some people, it happens very quickly. For other people, it takes them maybe their whole life. Life, exactly. Yeah. And now I can sit comfortably with my emotions. And I think at some point in my life, I would dismiss how I was feeling about things. Now I can sit comfortably and ask myself, why am I feeling this way? What's going on? And really engage and reflect within myself. I think before that, just wanting to do things would take over and I would dismiss a whole lot of things that were happening. But now I think I'm content, and, but we keep growing as a people, right? We on do. a daily basis, yeah. We do. So what are your goals for the next year or two then? Is really making sure that my business grows in terms of revenue. And my vision is literally to build a business that 
has got a lot of coaches that are working at a global level. I don't want it to be a business that is just about me because I want it to be sustainable. I want to create a legacy and really to impact people in a global scale. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I talk to coaches on a fairly regular basis. Some of them are very happy running their own business and making their own hours and having complete control over things. And others hit this point where they all of a sudden, they want impact on a bigger stage, right? Whether it's teaching or speaking or writing or whatever, they want to have scalability that they can't get just through their own coaching work. I'm one of those because I think it's limited what I can do on my own. And for me, either collaborating or literally, in fact, I've got a lot of coaches that I work with because I'm saying I will go get the business, but I don't have to execute on that business on my own. And what happens if I'm not feeling up to working? I want the business to still run. And for it to still make the money, it shouldn't just be reliant on me. And I think for me, that's where the sustainability comes in. Yeah. I mean, you talk about being able to go out and get the business. It's the marketer in you. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. What do you do to recharge your battery? How do you keep yourself energized? I do a lot of walking in the mornings or in the evenings. And in South Africa, we are blessed with amazing weather. So I do a lot of that. I'm finding myself spending a lot of time with my children, which I'm really enjoying. And I love all things TV. I'm trying to get back into reading, but it's not. Yeah, I think I lost it along the way. Yeah, I go sort of up and down a bit on reading. I I tend to read on the train and to work, the subway train. Mm-hmm which is at least a little bit of time every day. And you add up 15, 20 minutes of reading time and eventually you finish a book and you get to the next one. And so that's been good. It sure beats driving in terms of getting into work. I've got like a pile and pile of books that I've got and I keep looking at them. And then I start one chapter here and a chapter there. But like, I'll get back into it. But yeah, all things TV, it really just makes my mind wonder. Yeah. 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 I say to my wife, there's a point at night, especially where I'm like, okay, brain shutting down now. Let's watch something completely mindless on television. Yeah. Any final thoughts that you want to share? Any last career advice you want to give to our audience? (laughs) I think I'm all about embracing change. I'm all about really exploring the best of who you are and just being positive. As I was saying, looking at What if I succeed? What could be the next best thing that I can do with my life? I get very sad when I see people that are in jobs that they hate, but they're stuck um, because of the fear, because they believe that they are going to lose their salary. That for me saddens me. So for me, it's all about exploring who you are and finding fulfillment and happiness in your life. Yeah. I think this point you've brought up several times about what would happen if I succeed as opposed to what would happen if I fail. It's a simple idea, but it's a really important construct in the way that you think about change and think about opportunity. Yeah. And I always say life is too short to be in a job that you hate. Yeah, I agree. But life can be too long as well to be Mm. in a job that you hate. So either way, you need to decide. It's either too short or too long. Either too short or too long. You might wake up 30 years later and you're still in the same place. And you've been hating every minute of it. Like, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. This has been a fun conversation. Thank you. I appreciate your time and getting to know you a bit. So 
I'm glad that you reached out and that we got this set up. Thank you, JR. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Yeah, I enjoyed speaking with you too, Mupume, and, and you have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Bye. I'd like to thank Mupume for joining me today and sharing her unique career journey and everything she's learned along the way. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular insights, become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.